Hi, I'm Jen Gibson, and this is Brain Weasels, the podcast where people with first-hand knowledge of mental illness come to talk about mental health and the therapeutic front of pop culture. Today's topics, LARP, live-action role-playing, as well as trauma healing and dissociative identity disorder. We've talked about DID before, but in this episode, you get all the basics for better understanding, as well as how LARP helps. My guests today are Lee and Merritt. They are co-founders and directors of the Central Arkansas Role-Playing Club, the Gentleman's Hammer. Lee is also a tattoo artist. Check out Lee Dandy at Electric Panther in Little Rock. Merritt is a writer and gamer. You can find them on Twitch at M-U-L-T-I-E underscore P-L-A-Y-E-R. That's multiplayer. Um, so yes. both of you are LARPers. Yeah, we uh, run much. a group together, in fact. An so, un- yeah. unforgivable nerd, I am. Yes. <laughs> I'm, other nerds call personally. me a nerd. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, it, we LARP is the... Is the um, it's the worst. It's the, it's the bottom of the game. barrel. The nerds, nerds. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally like the thing other, like trash gamers will make fun of you for doing and then i'm like don't knock it till you try it and then i get very aggressive and friendly about it and i'm like you have a secret you've always wanted to do it but you've always been too afraid and i know that and i'm just saying you would probably love it if you would just come out and not worry about how cringe you are and not worry about what people would say <laughs> See, like and I'm, they usually start to get kind of bashful like i'm right and i'm like no i know i'm right i'm not usually <laughs> nice about it i'm like well somebody's allergic to fun before but no i well, I'm always trying to bully people into it anyway, so that's, you know, gently bullying my friends is the way I show affection, so. I'll shoot them with a Nerf gun. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. No, I'll beat the <laughs> hell out of you with a with a foam boffer stick. Absolutely. Let's do it. That's how so. we show affection. Yeah. Yes. here. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I'm terrible yeah. at, at combat, but it's a lot of fun. Me too. Yeah. I, I, I suck at it, but it's fine. Uh, I'm going to range combat. Too aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I get probably too aggressive in general on all of it, so whatever. <laughs> I have good stories, too. I think the thing is people don't realize is that, like, being in person and the physical aspect and both the theatrical aspect and, like, the, the sort of like sporty aspect of it gives you the just the craziest most chaotic stories like you think tabletop stories are interesting no (laughs) not until you've done larp and then you're like this is really bonkers let me tell you about it and i really feel like the physical aspect of larp really gets you more into the emotional Mm -hmm. aspect of the story actually because and maybe that's just me maybe because i am a person that processes physically because Mm -hmm. going to the gym has been super helpful for me i've been able to process a lot of my big feelings because i just need something to engage my body while i'm thinking and feeling things and i think Mm -hmm. that in a larp game i'm much more engaged I don't have a choice. I have to stay present because we're doing something. Uh, My body is engaged, so my mind wants to stay present where my body is. Uh, And so my feelings can be processed in the moment so much more easily, even if those feelings are based in fiction, uh, which Mm -hmm. is a whole other topic because it's how... Why do people LARP, you know? Uh, Sometimes it it is uh, just a safe place to experience feelings <laughs> yeah the 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 physical aspect but i was going to say also yeah the immersion and the improv both do the same thing too so i think it's like mm-hmm. a triple threat as far as being grounded goes yeah and imp- improvising allows players to be in a mindset of i am this character i have to keep these base things in mind about this character mm-hmm. and react as if i am this character so they are literally being forced to put themselves in somebody else's position mm-hmm. which is easy for some people harder for others um but it allows you to just 
experience feelings like I'm scared right now. Why am I actually scared at a LARP because all of this is fake? But you're not thinking about that, are you? You're thinking mm -mm. about, oh my God, there's monsters outside this cabin and they're getting closer every every time, every second that we waste. Those little children with the glowing yellow eyes are getting closer to the house. It helps when that they're it... really just cardboard cutouts with tiny little uh, plastic tea lights in the it, eyes. It, yeah. And spray painted black. Real example. And, see, I was going to say the, the thing that about the gentleman's <laughs> hammer is just like it helps that that we have haunted house expertise, like having a past experience with that, because that makes like you can do really cheap, easy scares and see grown men in a long conga line accordion themselves into a little ball because you just you're caused by two twenty pound sandbags. Yep, and some <laughs> and some uh, deer estrus because you got to make the monster cave smell good, mm -hmm. like oh. like a real monster. To, was to uh, provide context to that, I'll describe the situation real quick. Yeah. It's, one <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments I, we, in it's LARP not ever. The only instance of 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 grown adults being terrified oh, not at all or grown adults crying over stuff that's great we, but this is we one blindfolded everybody ones, to simulate going into a cave and we had portable cave walls to basically corral everybody like sheep into one area <laughs> and they started hearing the monster noises which we were making gradually louder and louder the longer they spent into the said cave until they were finally like what's that we had a fake and like started, body cast corpse yeah they had a fake corpse they had to find with they got wine to find feel with their hands we had lots of things that they that. could touch the tactile mm -hmm. things and they're just like oh my god it just got creepier as it went on but when we turned on the monster reel and it got louder suddenly they're like what's that like shh <laughs> listen and then they hear it growl and then i cued i pointed i cued we had these two 20 pound sandbags and just threw them down as if the motherfucking thing just dropped from the ceiling yeah and i've never seen a group of adults like <laughs> crushing on themselves so fast if you've seen like uh the horror reaction of a herd mentality of just everyone get close together you they like, can't take us all at once like those pictures of the frat boys at haunted yes. houses where they it was it, that it was that where they're jumping in each other's arms with just like a trash compactor just wham my only <laughs> one my only sadness block. is in that moment for the sake of safety i had to break immersion and tell them don't run you were blindfolded you could literally run yeah, headfirst into don't a tree please don't run granted the other thing that didn't you're not help, actually gonna die the other thing that didn't help was like right before that moment they had a guide in pc and we had the guide break from them that and was run. me it was you yeah it was me you broke from them and you ran off and they're like oh now, <laughs> i had a feeling that the person that had my hand expected me to do that because she had a death grip on she my did. hand but i just i kept my hand very loose regardless mm -hmm. i just tried to like be really reassuring like everything's fine i'm not fine. going to run away <laughs> why would i do that to you break and run like as soon as i got to the point like i had to jerk really hard but it was also very satisfying because she <laughs> reached for me she reached for me like oh no <laughs> <laughs> she like shouted the character name and everything and was like, uh, Doctor, Doctor, where'd you go? Oh, it's great. It's great. Okay, we're gonna have to back up. But anyway, yes. <laughs> absolutely. I could I could get into these all the time, but that's my point. Warp exactly. Are my is, is, yeah. But they could experience that fear in a very safe environment, mm -hmm. and I yeah. was there to remind them that hey, you're not actually in danger. You don't have to run. Everything's fine. You know, and kind of bring them a little bit back to reality so that they could get the endorphins that you want from a moment like that. And then, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so to explain LARP for people who That's true. have I no think. idea what it is. I know you're, you're <laughs> so immersed in it. People oh, don't yeah. know. Yeah, NPC, no, we, what is that? I do it um, so much. Yeah. So live action role playing. Um, mm -hmm. And it's to me, it's a bit like making a, an action movie. <laughs> 
but it's all improv except for the storytellers. Um, explain to me what a storyteller is. So live action role play is, is very theatrical and requires several different roles. Your storyteller is essentially your dungeon master for anyone familiar with D&D. It is a, a director, a person who knows the whole story, potentially wrote the whole story or has reviewed it, and is your go-to guy who's running the scenario, who's mm-hmm. running the event. Um, Lee and I are typically storytellers because um, mm-hmm. we're the directors of the of the group, and so we're people who you can go to for hard decisions. If you have questions, we often play important characters that you need to know mm-hmm. and be able to on a dime respond to like and immediate concerns or various questions and make and decisions make, because mm-hmm, and the nature choices. of live action role play is a lot of it is impromptu theater mm-hmm. at least the way we run it some people run larp as just physical combat and the mm-hmm. story is very loose we are very story We're focused very story so narrative it requires oriented. a lot of impromptu acting so you have to be really good at making decisions on the fly and having a good authority figure present that mm-hmm. can confirm that decision is you know yes that is canon you can do that that i, I approve me being there to grant my approval to a moment is very important for player security. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the services I provide and try to focus on because I'm really good at making decisions on the fly. Sorry. And I'm good at keeping all of the narrative in my mind for the mm-hmm. moment because I know what's going on. Everyone comes to me to tell me what's going on. I'm kind of the hub for that. So a lot of people come to me for the decisions and to confirm, hey, is this okay? And I'll say yes or Mm, let's do this instead. I try not to say yeah. no. I say no, but right. do this instead. And sometimes if it's a caution, it's yes, but, you know. Storytellers are a guide. Definitely, yeah. It's, it's we're there to provide you a service is a very good way to put it. It is an authority role, but in the sense of our job is to, I always say, be in part responsible for everyone's good time. So we're there to make sure you get the most out of your story, period. Mm-hmm. And we're there to make sure that everything runs smoothly. Because here's the thing, you're free to make in LARP because it's live action role play, just like D&D. You can make whatever the hell, hell decision you want mm-hmm. and your players are always going to surprise you. I have never Every had time. a single game that has gone perfectly smoothly the way I expected, <laughs> where everyone did everything no. I anticipated and it no one happen. made any off the wall decisions like I don't know stabbing the actual big bad guy <laughs> like two whole chapters ahead or anything like that Jennifer yes because uh, your, your best <laughs> friend okay. in your ear was a bad little devil and was like you should do that and I had to you let and you. DJ were both like yeah let's stab you like, <laughs> I guess this is happening <laughs> I guess right. it is. like what are we gonna do I had but, to make up some things like on the fly in that uh-huh. moment because I was like what would actually happen if they just stab Rook right now hmm, oh yeah he's this he would do that. Okay. Yep. Okay, and yeah, that's what we're it. there yeah. for is because we had to, there's been several instances in games where people didn't know that something that we did was 100% we grouped for five minutes with everyone panicking like what do we do yes or we had to just make a split second decision everyone's like oh I thought that was part of the script like no, no y'all no. y'all because the point is you're not supposed to know that I'm having to pull shit together yeah. just like you're not supposed to know when I'm hiding the rails and it's really I've funneled you into the decision I wanted you to make but you felt like you made it yourself like it's always all these little tricks and illusions and these I I don't know how else to explain besides yeah theatrical and narrative like 
techniques that actually walk people through what ends up being a good game, a good experience, a good story. Um, especially if you want to allow them to make their own character, which to me is very important. That's another thing not everybody does, um, but we're pretty adamant about at the Hammer is people making their own character they want to be and making sure that that character is fit well into the story. And if it isn't working and they're not having fun, find out ways to bring them in, let them out, change the character in a way that makes sense while keeping the the flow. So, because the more you have to stop a game, especially to do things like, like if you hesitate not being able to make a decision split second or not being able to react in character split second, or if you have to just say no and there's no, no, but, um, that takes people out of it. And that's yeah. the last thing you want. Okay, so real quick, you've talked mm-hmm. about the gentleman's hammer or the hammer. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to people what that is? Oh, uh, yeah. I uh, that's said our. That. That's the name of our live action role play group, mm-hmm. or gaming group, really, because we do things besides live action role play. Sometimes we'll schedule tabletop games mm-hmm. and try to recruit players that are group members. Uh, currently, we have about 70 members. Not everybody's super active. Uh, our games can range between 10 players to 30 players sometimes, depending on mm-hmm. who's interested. And uh, Right now, um, we got because of the pandemic... Of too, yeah, so that because, makes it hard. Because the pandemic kind of threw a wrench into things without being able to gather safely, mm-hmm. we've taken a bit of a hiatus and which is good actually because it gave me some time to kind of rethink how we structure Mm -hmm. our our uh, group and here forward I think we're going to uh, basically we're allowing more people to run a game uh, but it has to be approved by the directors Mm -hmm. Uh, if people want to run a game under the name of the hammer they really need to come to us and make sure that you know we're okay with it not that I would expect any of our members to run something that I think would have anything derogatory in it in any way, but I would like to be there yeah. to be like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you that's know. that's something that's really important to me is we've we've been doing a little rebranding, little restructuring, but but core tenets for us is always the fact that the problem with a lot of nerd spaces is that it's it's not accessible, it's not inclusive, it's not diverse. Um, it must be all those things. It must be all those things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been extremely important to us to make sure that we are as accommodating as possible, as inclusive as possible, and mm-hmm. all of those things. And for as a group realistically that, accommodating yeah, as possible. Pretty much, room. yeah. Cause, Throw that caveat in there. Yeah, because yeah. with live action, sometimes there's only so much you could do. Tabletop's yeah. easier, is truly easier in some ways. But but yeah. it's a matter of like, hey, if we know there's somebody coming who's got mobility issues, let's get them a chair or make let's sure make that sure the we venue have we get has a ramp if we mm-hmm. know in advance they want to go or any of those things. And providing a um, Space where people with sensory issues can yeah. de- decompress. Now, sometimes or, we have to move that space around during game because we're just kind of limited in our venues because yeah, we're just a group of friends putting money together to do something together. We're not an official, like, official, official club. Mm-hmm. Really, we're just a group of friends that pool our money together to rent a venue for a weekend and we help organize fun times. And, but we do still try to provide these accommodations like you can use this room and if for any reason we have to use this room we will provide a different room for you to go and lay down in or something that way because if you're emotionally invested in a moment and it's kind of overwhelming for you you might need a place to go cry for a little bit and that's fine we try to provide that or if you have sensory processing issues 
you need that room to kind of like decompress decompress from the noise and from the cacophony around you from all the activity. And that's perfectly fine. We try to like make sure that everybody has Mm -hmm. a space to go and do that. And that's part of our responsibility as directors. Yeah. And because I I really feel like that's a huge thing with with LARP is that when you're in the game area, it's always game on unless Mm -hmm. we say otherwise. And to keep that immersion, sometimes that's a bit much, especially since we're about to get into talking more about like you know, mental health stuff and, and therapy and how LARP Mm -hmm. can be included in that. But yeah, being able to have a place to get away from it. Not everybody has had that in the past. Um, there's also just the issue of like being able to, especially because I love horror games. We're very yes. horror heavy at yes. the Hammer, and love it. Being able to being able to in advance tell people this uh, this game will deal with these triggering topics. Period. Yeah. Or tell people before a heavy scene, hey, two seconds not breaking too much immersion, these people are about to yell at each other. If that's an issue, yeah. then they know they can go remove themselves if, if necessary. Or if they're in the middle of a scene and it's too much, we have hand signals where we know they're about to walk away and, you know, all of that. And then we can check on people yeah. later and stuff like and that. And I am going to start including an actual physical red card because yeah. we started using this concept at tabletops mm-hmm. where you hold up the red card. It means that this is too much for me. I'm going to excuse myself. Please continue as if I'm here, but please don't do anything that involves me directly. Try and work around my mm-hmm. absence because I cannot deal with what's going on right now. We'll well, we will reincorporate me after I've processed things. Like if I'm dealing with a situation that includes like harm to animals or children, I'm likely to hold up a red card because mm-hmm. that's one of my own hard limits. Mm-hmm. I have to say, not for me. Hold up my card and just kind of quietly excuse myself. That way the storyteller or narrator on staff right now understands why I'm leaving mm-hmm. and that they need to work around me and just pretend that I'm there, but I'm not there, yeah. you know, and just pretend my character's still present, but just try to ignore, uh, don't do anything that involves that character directly and if it it's something that needs to involve me directly that's that's a problem that's something for the narrator to work around because you can't at that point yeah we had tried to like ask people ahead of time like what things are like hard limits for you that way if in the scene we know it's coming we can maybe warn you ahead of time that mm-hmm. it's going to happen i don't but want if that to sneak up on anybody sometimes <laughs> it does sneak up on you though but and yeah. that's why the red card system or just like we have a signal that you hold up and say this i'm out of game that's the out of game hand sign mm-hmm. it's you cross two fingers on one hand and you hold it up that also works the red card just lets us know why you're leaving so mm-hmm. i thought i might include that so that we know that it's because of that and we know it's very important you don't have to justify your reasons for leaving a scene necessarily yeah. but it's good to know when somebody's worked up that way i can check on you later yeah because yeah. the only I can time check I'll, on you after the scene's done the only time i'll ever hard break immersion is if someone is injured and that's not just yes. physically if you are having yeah. a moment where you're either having a breakdown or a panic attack or something or you actually are physically hurt that is the only time i'll ever just hard put the brakes on and everybody yep. stops but but i guess again i mean maybe <laughs> i'm very adhd in case anybody hasn't already picked up on that uh <laughs> so i bounce around a little bit and i was kind of concerned about that today especially but you're doing um, great thank you we have a couple we we keep using terms and i guess it's true i don't know who all knows what they <laughs> you know so a narrator the difference between that and a storyteller that's a term we use the narrator is somebody who is helping backstage essentially either playing what we call the man in black which just like in theater is somebody who is present to do things but isn't there Uh um 
or somebody who's playing a, an NPC, which is a non-player character. That's like your characters you interact with kind of same to video games. Player characters. Versus NPCs. Non-player characters. So if you're talking about, sorry, if you're talking about the, um, like the staff, yeah, essentially, they can do card draws for you, kind of like a dice roll to determine, you know, if you succeed at something or not. They can give certain story cues related to their character, but if it comes down to big decisions, they radio me or come find me and they ask me what what needs to happen. They don't make those kinds of choices. They don't Mm -hmm. run everything or write everything. They are an essential part, but it's like, if we're the doctors, they're the nurses. They take excellent care of you and I would not be able to (laughs) run the game without them. Absolutely not. I'd never want to undervalue them, but at the same time, it's one of those, they have to defer to me on everything. So I think it's also worth to note that this is just one club out of many, many, many in Arkansas or anywhere. And everybody has different terminology. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to join a live action role play club or some kind of group that does this, it's always good to try and look on their website, see if they have an FAQ of what their different terms are and what they mean. Generally, though, non-player character and player character are pretty universal. Everyone mm-hmm. uses that. They may have different words for storytellers or directors. We we use theater terms because mm-hmm. we are more narrative heavy and we do more impro- improvised theater and haunted house tricks in what we do. Um, but some people might have completely different uh labels for for their staff Mm -hmm. uh, than we do i just want to throw that out there because we're not just talking about the Mm -hmm. hammer we're talking about larp in general so yeah yeah. and i just wanted to uh just back up a little bit to what you were saying about having like a quiet room Mm -hmm. um i actually used that i think the last time uh we had a game i was in the middle of a depression Mm -hmm. i was having a rough time but i knew that i needed to get around people there's some Mm -hmm. uh, self-care self-care tip for you guys uh if you are depressed you can still participate in things and so i had to go (laughs) to the quiet room and literally just cry i just had to cry for a while and that's what happens when i'm depressed every once in a while i just need a good cry and then i'll be okay and yeah and we're very much a you come and you participate as much or as little as you want as and as long as we're we know what you need and you make sure you let us know what you need mm-hmm. then i mean we'll even have people who it's just like you just want to observe we've had a couple people come and they don't yeah. want to play they just want to watch totally and that's fine. totally fine we love that have a good audience only, you know the only hard limit that i have as far as accommodations go is that it can't disrupt gameplay for everyone yeah uh you have to be at least in a place of you have to at least have enough stability to be able to participate in the game and if you you have to be able to manage yourself if you if managing yourself means that i'm getting overwhelmed recognizing that and then excusing Mm -hmm. myself to the quiet room so that i can have a good cry for Mm -hmm. a little while and that's that's what that's there yeah. for, uh, and but just you know, okay and, sometimes, and some but, people yeah. do get overwhelmed in the moment, and that's what mm-hmm. the red card is for. Out of game is for. That's what calling caution or pausing the scene is for. It's just one of those things that there's a difference between that and taking up three hours of time because you can't manage your emotions very well in that right moment. again it's another that's a different problem <laughs> it's another instance of we're not therapists yeah, yeah. we're not I therapists. cannot help you in that yeah. way <laughs> and because larp is very emotional and because we deal with emotional processing in the stories and because this is there this is something that people seek for therapy sometimes mm-hmm. 
uh, it's the same thing about like being, I'm not a therapist when I'm a tattoo artist. I'm not a therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm a storyteller. I'm not a therapist. Mm-hmm. I, I can provide you a safe space to where you can explore your emotions, but I cannot help you process them. That is inappropriate right. for me to do that. I can't provide that for you. I can give you a space where you can attempt to do it yourself. And if it is too much for you and you cannot continue game that weekend, you still can participate. You can watch. You can uh, kind of root for people, you know, on the sidelines. Oh, and that's still fine. But if being immersed in the story is too much for you emotionally, then that's okay. You just Mm -hmm. have to recognize that that is where your limit is right now. And that limit may change. The -hmm. more you get exposed to it, the more you learn proper coping mechanisms, the more you help yourself, the more you'll be able to participate and actually benefit from what LARP can provide for you. And some people, it provides a lot of therapy. For me, Mm -hmm. it does. Role play is a great tool for me. Um, But some people just do it for fun. And just like with tattoos, whether you get them for a big meaning or just because they're fun, there's really no right or wrong wrong answer. And yeah, and and I think... um... I think that that's that's something that I I try to impress upon the situation is we have a rule that's you are also in part responsible for everybody else's good time so it's a courtesy you have to you have to be aware of other people around you um, just as much as we are that whole again like if your character has a really triggering backstory cool I want to help with that but I cannot let you for whatever reason, even if it's you processing yeah. something of your own, just go off with something that is inconsiderate to other people who are there. Yeah. Like there has to be a limit thing. on certain, again, yeah, it's yeah. consent. There's a limit on certain things. You need consent from There's your a lot of players to what's going on. Like, uh, I can provide that as a storyteller because I know what's coming. But if your character just bursts out with this traumatic backstory that none of us really knew about mm-hmm. and suddenly you're putting it upon everyone else, yeah, we've got to have I might as a storyteller hold up a red card and say, hey, wait a second. Yeah, yeah. You know? And that's not me trying to disrupt narrative flow here. That is... I'm trying to look out for my other players who may not be aware, or I might be aware of their hard limits and you're crossing them, Yeah, you know? So we're also there to protect players as a storyteller. My job is also to protect other players in moments like that and make those kind of decisions too. And it's funny because I don't want to get off on a whole other conversation, (laughs) but that joke about everybody, like (laughs) there, there is a very, very small degree of difference between a BDSM dungeon (laughs) and a, and a role play dungeon. Like (laughs) that all the people people who are into BDSM are also all the same people at Ren Fairs and LARPing. Yeah, I'm just providing emotional. (laughs) (laughs) Literally there's so much in common with it. It's hysterical to me because they're not wrong. It's literally just like so many of us are just the same people at both places. And you're like, yeah, it's narrate me harder, daddy. Yeah. (laughs) Make people, make people do card draws and then like, Oh no, I didn't even think about that before, but I'm going to even get into that. I mean, failure card draw. You don't get what you want. I mean, isn't the the red card basically like the traffic light system? I'm just Mm -hmm. saying, you know, I don't want to say that's where we got it, but that might not maybe anyway. Anyway. Okay, well, this is a good time to talk about uh, talk about your diagnosis. Yeah, Merit. you did have other questions, and, and I was like, we were trying to roll into this, but we had so many things to say because it's so much fun. But um, yeah, yeah, because I know that that um, I want to talk about therapeutic value yes. of LARP, and obviously not you know storytellers are not your therapist, but mm-hmm. you can do your own personal work mm-hmm. through it, um, and you have. Uh, diagnosis of DID. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can you, which is dissociative identity disorder, for those who don't know. Formerly called multiple personality disorder, which the name was only changed to differentiate the fact that it is not a disorder of the personality specifically. It is a dissociative disorder, period, because it's a traumatic disorder, so... Um, and anyway. Merit is is sort of a public name, I guess. Well, I mean, it, Merit is a person. Yeah, but. yeah. I, I identify with one of my body names, as they say. So I, you know, one of us actually uses the name, but we also just kind of all respond to it because we've used it for so long. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Merit is who you have with you right now. So. And um, your system is called the Sanchek system. That is correct. That is, that's basically who they are. They are the Sanchek mm-hmm. system. That's a group of people who all live in the same body. Yeah. Um, that, that's actually, that's actually what uh, people who know us will just call us Sanchek or San, the Sancheks or call us San or something if they don't know, or if they're referring to everybody, they don't know who they're talking to. So yeah, that's, I mean, I've even thought about changing our legal name because I know I have a couple of friends who've done that where they just tack it into their middle name, like a second middle name. And I'm like, that's not necessarily a bad idea. <laughs> so no, that's kind of a neat idea. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to know about, um, First of all, for merit, is mm-hmm. this uh, therapeutic for you? Oh yeah, it, all of us collectively, it has been very therapeutic for. We really got, we got a lot of our start with role playing LARP and writing, and um, I, like as far as healing goes. And I actually think that we probably wouldn't be as far along today as we are if we weren't into that, especially as a kid. But I'll get into that some. Although I do want to say, um, hilariously enough, it, it's actually because it has been so helpful and healing to us that that is our system name because sand check is short for sanity check. You call it a sand check and call the call of Cthulhu role playing system, which is where you roll for your sanity to see if you go crazy or not. And I was just like, that's, that's hilarious. Let's do it. So yeah. So sand check literally, literally make a sanity check. I love that. I, yeah. I used to have a blog that the title was like roll for your life or something like that. And I still, still like that one quite a bit but yeah um i do advocacy gosh i guess i don't know where to start um because there's like three different things here so mm-hmm. would you prefer to like would you prefer me to talk about did itself first would you like me to talk about us a little bit first in our background or would you like me to just walk right into the extra LARP questions um we can talk a little bit about did it is um such a complicated subject it is that is the that issue if we if we get into into the right. weeds too far <laughs> um people's heads will explode because yes. it's complicated it can be hard to wrap your brain around so i've tried to come up with short ways to mm-hmm. kind of explain to the layman and everything about it but i always encourage people to do more of their own research that's like yes. i've been we've how long i guess we've been doing advocacy for like 13 14 years at this point it's been a long time um, we did stuff with NAMI before, um, and, you know, NIM and some other things. And then we've done on and off like blogs and et cetera, and we're getting back into it again. And then private advocacy for local people where we give resources and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, DID, where do, let me see, start I guess. Start from the trauma? For, start from the top, yeah. <laughs> it all um, begins with trauma. Yeah, well, I guess to understand how it works, because a lot of people seem to, especially if they're skeptical at first, can't really seem to wrap their idea around how you could have 19 personalities. And the bottom line is that your brain's complicated and no one understands it very well <laughs> to begin with. It's one of those final frontier things. Um, but... Every kid starts out as this collection of unintegrated self-states, 
that's some fancy talk for saying that you're not in entirely a blank slate because of course genetics and environment play into it from the beginning from the drop even from birth because of course you have you can have trauma that early on you know when kids are you know separated from their parents or have medical conditions and things like that because touch is so important for a newborn and stuff like that mm -hmm. um so all of that plays in but you're not one single person at first um you that sort of thing kind of coalesces together into one central narrative and one central sense of self and being um somewhere between the ages of like six and ten is the typically accepted like age range of maturity for that and then there's a milestone that happens and once you hit that milestone whatever your self-state is at that time that's what it's going to be for the rest of your life um so when a kid starts out like that i always use this lego analogy um where Imagine you're given a huge bucket of Legos and they're like, you got this many years to build a whole sculpture out of it. And then you can, you know, move stuff around on the sculpture, but that's your sculpture and that's what you get. And you, the rest of the Legos are taken away or, you know, to some extent there's a stop put to the process. But, you know, for most kids, little things might happen that break off some pieces while they're building it, you know, because little tiny traumatic things happen to everybody. But every, depending on what your threshold is for trauma, how you handle it, comorbid conditions, because of course, I always say that the world currently produces no untraumatized neurodivergent children, period. You just, you can't be ADHD or autistic or anything, or, you know, um, have childhood psychosis or something and come out untraumatized. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how well your family does or anything like that. Um, that and your environment and other things, uh, genetic predisposition, because it heavily runs in my family, and I'd love to do studies on that, um, for people who are more likely to use dissociation as a coping mechanism instead of something else. Um, all of that kind of determines whether you're going to keep building that structure or enough traumatic stuff is going to happen to you that it keeps getting reduced to rubble. And you're like, well, what do I do? I have these like three big chunks and maybe I should just take these and start a new one right over here. And it keeps happening until you hit that milestone and you're just left with a whole bunch of pieces instead of one. Mm. Um, and I guess that's the, the little analogy is that my bucket never really formed into one thing. It formed into several things. And now that's what I have to work with. Um, you have attachment styles as a kid. And one of the things that plays into that is having a disorganized attachment style, meaning I was never entirely sure whether something was going to be threatening or whether it was dangerous or whether it was fine. And it fluctuated so fast sometimes, um, that I couldn't get a good handle on it. So what you end up doing with dissociation is you're already predisposed to, like Lee talked about earlier, Things like zoning out, although there's several different types of dissociation too. Derealization, yeah. where certain things about the world don't feel real. I've walked through um, like a strip mall before and been like, all these buildings are cardboard cutouts and I'm 100% convinced of that. But I also know that that's not right. Um, there's depersonalization where I look in the mirror and it's just like looking at a stranger, um, that kind of thing. Um, but using that as a coping mechanism, um, you have a spectrum of dissociative disorders and at the far end you have ones that cause amnesia where you start putting those barriers up between those pieces um because it's safer because it's more functional lee did a very good job of explaining that 
and it can it can keep you from remembering things that are too much for you to deal with, especially as a kid when you don't have any way of either understanding or coping with them. You're not emotionally mature enough for it or anything like that. So I started, for instance, with my trauma, putting up these barriers in between these things that would happen to keep myself safe. So you start creating these little little segmented um, sections of your brain and those hold specific experiences. And so as you use those, because my brain does this automatically and it's like, well, this one's good for, for this type of dangerous situation. And this one's good for dealing with your dad. And this one's good for, you know, any of these things. Um, the more that those different segregated pieces have experiences, the more they get built up into what we would commonly see as a personality. Um, because the idea of a personality, of course, you get into the question of what is one, that's where this starts to get mind bending even more so. And bottom line is you're a collection of your experiences, feelings, etc. And also the, I call them the tracks in your brain, the parts of your brain that typically um, or I don't know how to explain used or inhabited by you. Um, and the more those things build up, the more, yeah, you know, definition you get to have a personality. Of course, when I hit that milestone where I cut off and I'm just going to be multiple people at this point, because there's no one life narrative for me. There's no one collection of tracks of experiences or things. Um, I can, I just keep doing that my whole life. And it might be, that I'm taking two Lego sculptures and putting them together, or it might be a whole random set of pieces that I wasn't using before come back together. These things can happen, but it's just going to keep going my whole life, no matter what I choose to do with it. Um, and I'm hoping this is making sense because I yeah. normally have a little bit more of a script, but uh, to get back to the idea of the tracks, cause I just realized I skipped a point. Um, when it comes to DID, there is 100% a physical aspect to it, I should probably also say. Um, if you do a an actual brain scan on someone with DID, genuinely, I have multiple friends who have been in this particular type of study. They've been doing it for several, several years now, um, especially in the UK. I have some friends who are actually working on one of those projects. Um, if you put people in a brain scan, different personalities have different imaging than each other. Normally when you put somebody in, the brain image is always the same where things light up. Uh, with alters, as they call alternate personalities, um, each brain scan looks like a totally different person. <clears throat> and, um, really from, from there, the other thing that they've, they've found is when it comes to memory, because so much of this is tied to memory and understanding, um, of the world. When you are given a story to read, um, normally what they do is they, they give a fake story, a memory that quote unquote belongs to a different altar that they experienced themselves. And they give a memory that belongs to a different altar. And when asked to read and imagine these stories back, what they found is <clears throat> the fictional story always registers as fictional. The story that belongs to them registers as their own. 
and excuse me, the memory that belongs to a different altar that definitely happened to this person, but not to that specific personality also registers as fictional. Wow. Yeah. And so until you start breaking down barriers and you can start accepting those things into your narrative, you're imagining them at a distance, period. Um, A lot of people describe it as like following a camera around or feeling like it happened, but not exactly to you, like watching a movie. Um, And even even once we've had our barriers come down a lot, we still have those where it's like I might say I or I might be thinking about it, but I'm remembering it differently because the perspective isn't mine. Um, so it, it is very much a legitimate, like you could, it's so ridiculously expensive and it gets into all kinds of problems that are classist and ableist as hell to do it this way, but you could do a brain scan to see if someone is DID at this point. Um, I don't, I do not advocate requiring that sort of thing by any means, but I am extremely confident that if you put me in a machine right now, my brain would look different from any of my other personalities period. So I hope that's a general overview of how that works, because I think I think without understanding kind of the mechanics of it and the fact that, you know, how trauma factors in the fact that that catalyst doesn't have to be anything in specific because there's a big myth that it has to, quote unquote, be bad enough or that it has to be some some type of extreme trauma. And it doesn't, you know, that that people misunderstand what's actually happening in the scenario when really like long and short of it is I dissociate so badly and have so much amnesia from trying my brain, trying to protect itself that the solution to the problem is that these different like states of being to deal with these things start developing into their own senses of self. And as for me personally, I don't ever want to change that. We function fantastic as we are and we like ourselves. And so there you go. So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I like, I like everybody too. Um, I actually oh, am not sure if I've met everybody personally. Maybe not. Not Just all online. of us come out very often. So yeah. yeah, we have a, we've divided up into teams pretty successfully. So there's a lot of DID terms I won't get into, but um, one of the big uh, like myths is that there is like a core and it's a broken vase and there was one of me and then something bad happened and I shattered into a million pieces and it does not work that way. Um, but there, there are, there are EPs and there are ANPs and an EP is an emotional part, which typically is someone who has a very either specific role or holds a specific feeling, something that they cope with typically has a smaller role, typically doesn't come around as much, not that they're any less people than anyone else. And then there's an apparently normal part, which if you did not know me or know any better, um, like an emotional part in some ways can be limited, but an ANP is someone where you would just think that's me normal. You wouldn't know a difference. They are just as complex as me sitting here talking to you in all kinds of ways. They have all sorts of preferences and memories and they take a much larger role and they're out all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I would, there's 19 of us, like I said, there's almost like about six or seven in each group. Um, and out of the main fronters, there's like six of us who are around every single day that we call the A team and the B team. (laughs) There's like six of us who are around maybe every week. And then the rest of us are around Usually like once a month, sometimes we'll, they'll go longer in between, but that's just because that's, that's just how they are. Um, although, you know, the more we've recovered, the more we're around a lot 
all like or have the ability to be around a lot you know switching got easier as as they say and switching is when one of us switches from one personality to another etc so um yeah so there's like there's like six of us that are <laughs> pretty much the people that everybody knows and that's that's about it so uh are they all hanging out today for the most part yeah. um yeah because that's i have to wake up in the morning and do roll call and kind of sit there and feel out my brain and be like who's even here Does somebody <laughs> sound awake? off yeah <laughs> who wants to get up and feed the dog because not me <clears throat> and um, then it's like you hear doc from the background like coffee and i'm like yes ma'am so you know <laughs> Um, we're going to have to do a, a follow-up to this and talk about like Absolutely. DID and pop culture and that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, I would and, love to. Yeah, but we're going to do that. As far as LARP goes, and I was saying I don't think we would be where we are without um, doing any of that as kids is because communication is a huge part. Um, there's always this myth that uh, the different parts don't know about each other or whatever, or you can't communicate at all. And so you're like, oh, I found notes written to myself. And I did have some of that. I mean, I've had some bad amnesia up to the point of like, I think the longest blackout I've ever like been aware of was just 13 hours gone completely. Wow. Um, and there was all this evidence of what had happened in that time and people telling me about it. And uh, I remembered absolutely none of it. Um, I had like, I have, I have a violent streak, you know, um, which not everybody does, but it, it's easy to discount the people who do. But when I, when I was younger, I definitely had issues with violence. And a lot of that stuff was just, I would not remember that it had happened. I remember like being in the hallway in like seventh grade and I had or Alex, not me. But at the time, I didn't know that Alex had just beat the snot out of this kid. And there were papers scattered everywhere. And he was cowering against the wall. And there were three teachers screaming at my face. And I burst into tears because I had no idea how I got there. Wow. I had no fucking earthly clue what had just happened and why they were screaming at me. And as soon as they realized I was being honest that I did not know what had happened, they all looked like absolutely shook. And I am absolutely furious too that like nobody called my parents about that oh no one did anything they just like got so awkward and uncomfortable they just told me to go home and no one said anything else to anybody ever again so about the subject. growing up and you become an adult and you look back and you're like wow what's wrong with you? what's wrong with all the adults <laughs> yeah. back when i was a child wow they failed me so yeah no Especially because Alex was doing stuff like that all the time. I mean, like breaking noses and stuff, getting oh. scrappy and um, and and like biting kids and going to detention. And I'm like, why am I here? And I would think it was just because I had like I was swearing in class. I guess I must have been that. And it's like, no, you literally like spit on this one girl's face and rip part of her hair out, and you don't remember it at all. But for some reason, no one thinks that they have to call anyone about this. Like, I don't know what was absolutely what was wrong with the people at the school at the time, but like, yeah. I went to the same school, I could probably tell you. I mean, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> then again, like, <clears throat> yeah, no, it was just, it was a whole ass thing. And then I did end up, I have, that isn't to say Side I didn't get note. dealt with it. They were point. just bad adults. They were. Oh, okay. I have been hospitalized forcibly. Um, and I've been hospitalized more than once at this point, but uh, although not in a very, very long time, but that did eventually happen. Um, but it is just, it's that kind of thing. It's terrifying and stuff. So it, it is real. It is a thing. It's a chameleon disorder, DID. And by that, I mean, it's supposed to blend in with society and you're not necessarily supposed to be aware of it because what good is a blend in and protect you disorder if you and everyone around you is aware of it? Yeah. Um, 
So it tries to, that's why I say doubt and denial are symptoms. So a lot of people who have the disorder struggle up and down with that sort of thing. And even I did, there were like five years there where I didn't want to believe it was real. Um, Because to your brain, the awareness of it feels dangerous. So, you know, being like, that's fake. It can't be right. It just, it feels safer. So you just don't want to believe that it's there. But you know, when I was a kid, if you don't mind me going on, um, because yeah. I'm trying to get to a point, I promise. But <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I, you kind of always know from the start that if once you're aware that this isn't something that quote unquote normal people do, you know, there's always something wrong. And for a long time, I thought it was just characters and that writers talk about their characters like this. And some writers do. Um, but my whole my characters talk to me and do this or won't let me do that went way beyond normal to the point of like, well, I guess my character got me dressed this morning. Totally not how that works. Um, or this isn't creative strategy. This is no, this is like, yeah, like, like upset that we're, we're, you know, our role play campaign is over because this was, you know, Penny or Emma's only opportunity to be and talk like themselves because they both have heavy accents and now they're upset it's over because they have to go back in the box or pretend to be me and you know or people yeah writing letters to me Barnes used to write me these these letters all the time or like draw himself on my notes and I thought I was just being creative and it's like that's way outside the realm of technically normal in a lot of ways um so role play, especially in writing, were, were kind of my first foray into getting to know and communicate with the others. Yeah. Um, we also used to do a proxy thing where we would like, and we thought we were nuts, um, but we used to take our stuffed animals and just like you'd used to, like, we got very, very sad when people quit playing house and playing pretend as kids, right? Like when no, when tea parties with your dolls were no longer a thing, we were very depressed about it. Uh-huh. And I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. And um, the truth is it's because, uh, it, and also the fact that we had quote unquote imaginary friends uh-huh. for way longer than seemed normal. Um, so like, I remember we actually, um, fortunately our, our mother's boy has been very attentive and actually took us to therapy a few times very early on. Um, I remember for my 13th birthday, actually, I asked for a therapist. (laughs) She did get me one, but you know, it took forever to figure out what was going on. But, uh, you know, she actually asked, is it normal for her to be like, 12 and still have an imaginary friend who like comes to me and asks for snacks and stuff like that. Uh, and no, (laughs) the answer is no, but we used to take our dolls and, and plush toys and stuff and sit them around, like sit them up, like, like a house or something. And then we would talk to each other that way. So I would focus on like my stuffed cat and imagine a voice. And really it's just me getting tuned in to my internal voice of this other who then is able to tell me stuff. And I started learning how to talk to them that way. And we started learning to switch because of role play. So we, we went hard with tabletop for a long time before we ever played LARP. Cause I mean, I've been playing, I, I've been technically playing since I could sit on my dad's knee and flip pages and didn't know how to read, you know, because he used to play D&D. And I remember being really small and looking through the monster manual and stuff. And then when I was 10, I got the AD&D box set for my birthday and I DM'd my first game for my family. And I've been a forever DM by choice ever since. So, nice. um, But I have played some games and it was like, 
we always dressed up. We'd have whole ass costumes and we would come to every session dressed up in character the whole time and just tell people we were just, we we're just very hardcore about being in character. When really the answer is it, it was us getting used to the idea of, or getting the opportunity to actually like be out and exist on our own terms, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really necessary for a system. And a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do otherwise. But I think getting that super early start, you know, um, with learning how to write at a really young age, because my mom's a writer and, you know, that was always a thing. And then playing games and, and you know, all of the, the role play that I ended up doing online or tabletop or otherwise um, actually put us kind of ahead of the game on, you know, knowing who we were and learning how to listen and learning how to cope with that and all the strategies for how to make notes so you don't necessarily forget stuff because at least this character, quote unquote, is taking care of it for you and things like that. So, yeah, that's where it started for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And now um, you've had games where uh, different alters have mm-hmm. had central roles. Like I know that I've played mm-hmm. with Tabby and with yes. Emma. Mm-hmm. Um do you have any experiences where your your alter kind of gelled, kind of um, developed through gaming? I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so I have mostly what has happened, and this is not always true. Sometimes people create the character and then do what we call interjecting it to themselves, which is, wow, this character is exactly what I need, my brain says, or wow, this character is very comforting to me and is something that could help me through this crisis in my life. I'm going to make that an actual thing or, you know, a part is going to form around the idea of them and then develop and keep that identity. Some people do that, but in my case, it's mostly been the altar already exists needs to know about themselves or wants an outlet or wants to process their trauma and their feelings, the things that they hold on their own terms in, as Lee said before, a safe environment, um, in a fictional environment. So that way it's at enough of a distance to not harm us. Um, so they make a character that they like, whether they know who they are or not. And then they, put themselves into that and they process things through that and they they use that as a medium to interpret themselves or get more experiences or work out the root of other problems um so i'm trying to think of like yeah but you've you've played games with us and and uh, in some cases like emma emma playing herself has been a long-standing thing she was one of the first people to do it um and so she's just had her narrative for ages and sometimes she'll like her playing with you is her chance to revisit it after you know 10 years of not actually doing anything and having changed a whole bunch as a person so she had to think what if I took my old narrative what would I change about it now who am I now and that's what she got out of that one is who am I now um and it's always very different but I think the thing people don't seem to understand that we've had some confusion on before is there is always a distinct difference. There's always a differentiation in any of our writing um, or role-playing between us and the characterized version of us. Mm. You know, it's a caricature. It's, it's a, it's a vehicle. It's an avatar. It's not exactly who we are, but it's important things about us. And that's the same idea of 
a lot of people, including us, have what they call an in-world, which is an inner an inner world, an inner place where we exist. Because we, of course, we have a way we see ourselves. We have a way we sound in our own head to ourselves. That all this identity, none of it is accidental. It's all very purposeful. It's all very distinct. There's a reason for just about everything. Um, and I very much advocate for people who have alters to actually, yeah, overanalyze the hell out of yourselves. Like, uh, because there's so many things that I would not have thought were important that actually are. And having a caricature version of yourself, which is like, you know, very specifically played up and overwrought and more creative and more, you know, like I said, a caricature that accentuates certain features, uh, you know, that can help you identify those things that are important to you, that mean something. And then once you get to know yourself, that's a very, very, very good way of, of getting more awareness and getting out of the dissociation and the amnesia into more grounding, into more communication and so on. So yeah, mostly for us, it's been we existed, then we played a game. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> and you've grown. Yes, um, very much so. Absolutely. I would love to know what that storytelling process is like. How do you how do you come up with the ideas? And um, is the actual process of creating the game therapeutic for you? For Definitely. both of you? Yes. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a lot to say about that. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> and um, I know I'm, I'm bound to talk a lot through a couple of these things. So... Um, I will say I am a writer, like, professionally in my everyday, uh, so I, I do have a very specific process for any writing, so I think it's a combination of, of my actual creative writing techniques and then, like, focusing on specifics that are important to me. Like, um, you said you played a game with Tabby at the time when we started working on that project. It started with... Um, like, because we had had notes about it for ages before anybody took that and decided to make a game out of it. And in Tabby's case, it was always, okay, well, post-apocalyptic stuff is important to me, and I like the horror genre, and I really see myself as a survivor and a final girl, and I'm always running from my problems, and I know it, and I'm too scrappy, and I don't, people don't interpret me right, and uh, I don't imagine that I have parents. Like they died or something like it she was just and she had more than that but she was just pulling those things out and then once you put them together you start getting ideas for an actual story like well who were you raised by why aren't they here now and things like that so yeah as far as storytelling itself being therapeutic for Mm -hmm. me i get the same fulfillment out of that as I do sometimes in some aspects of my job actually because for me for tattooing the fulfillment is the tattoo but it's also providing that safe space for somebody to experience whatever they need to experience in vent whatever they need to to me you know within reason with consent being a, a thing absolutely we've discussed all of that but it's the same thing with uh, storytelling for me I like providing that space for people. I like making room for that. I like helping people work out their emotions and they're trying to figure out who they are because what you're essentially doing when you role play is saying, who who am I is a question, but also who could I be? Absolutely. Who, who could I be? And that works for whether you're a system or a singlet. It doesn't matter. You need to explore who you are. And role play is a great way to do that. So it doesn't matter what kind of diagnosis that you have. Mm-hmm. You could sit down and play D&D and say, 
I want to experience life as a barbarian. Mm-hmm. I want to be strong. Mm-hmm. I want to have these complex problems. Like maybe I, I'm a, a half elf, which is like you wouldn't imagine a half elf as a barbarian, right? So what kind of struggles would a character like that go yeah. through? Then I end up with a character that's Mad Seamus and, you know, solves <laughs> most of his problems through violence and but is also secretly charming and, and you know, has all these like has a soft heart for children and small animals and things. But God help you if you see him doing that, he's going to punch you. You know, (laughs) it's there's some complex issues in that. But I get to explore what that's like in a safe space, because once you pack up the dice and put away the books, Mm -hmm. I can go about my business. I like providing that for people because I give them an environment. And what I like to do as a storyteller specifically challenge things that players are doing, not because I want to see them fail, but because I am just as curious as I hope that they are Mm -hmm. about who this character is and how would they react to this situation. I want them, I want to explore that character that they're presenting because I want to help them create a more rounded character. So I try Mm -hmm. to throw out experiences onto the table that I feel will do that. So sometimes when I'm prepping a game, I lean more into the impromptu Mm-hmm. Uh, I always do my best work on the fly, uh, which is just yep. what I'm used to with LARP, because you have to work mostly on the fly. I have a framework that I keep in the back of my mind the entire time. I know where, and I, at a direction. I have a framework of important facts, and I have a direction that I want things to go generally towards. Eventually, I want it to arrive at a conclusion. Now, that inclu- conclusion can be interpreted in many different ways, because <laughs> players will surprise me. I always keep that in mind. But the direction is the same. It should land somewhere in that general target that Mm -hmm. I've set up. Now, if it completely goes off the rails, I just adjust my target. There's something Mm -hmm. else to land on. I just have to kind of keep a landing in mind. It's like skydiving. You just kind of have to make sure you don't land in a tree. You know, I can't make the campaign land somewhere that is unsalvageable and unsatisfying for the players. I always want it to land somewhere that is satisfying for everybody at the table. But while we're on the way, the excitement is getting to that point. Mm -hmm. Like, once you land, it's over. Uh, But getting to that point, there's a lot of exhilaration. It's like, hey, do a backflip. Do all this stuff, you know. (laughs) I want to see my players do backflips and do cool things and, like, uh, you know, and kind of – and once they start – on a tangent once somebody gets going they're like yeah let's do this i just let them go yeah yeah i'm just there to kind of poke things along and move and kind of lay some tracks where they need to and just and then you have some players that take a lot of incentive and some players that really Mm -hmm. don't you know there's a lot of complexity there but i try to give as much guidance as i need to yeah but no more i like seeing players grow with that stuff too we had a guy who joined larp who thought he was going to hate it who was extremely shy and quiet (laughs) and introverted and just stayed inside all the time and he ended our like four-year campaign giving one of the best speeches anybody has given in character and like just monologuing big. I was so surprised. I was so proud of <laughs> so him. So proud of him. And that's really what you look for because just because my heart. I I agree that it's it's whether you're a system or a singlet. One of the things is yeah about who you could be. It's about putting yourself in situations and forcing you to think about reacting differently than you might be inclined to. Think about the situation differently than you otherwise would, or give you the opportunity to explore things you would never get the chance to otherwise, or to ask yourself about what do I value? What's important to me? What do I want to say? And that's really how I take any of my writing is I'm the kind of writer who starts with a theme. I 
start with something important. I start with something that I'm trying to say or express or illustrate, and I go from there. So my writing might have a basic concept, but the plot and everything else flows around what's the bottom line? What's the thing that I'm trying to express? And I do that with my LARP too, um, where the point is like with the fantasy one that had that, that guy in it who gave the good speech. One of the, one of the major themes was sometimes things change and you can't do anything about that. And sometimes the point isn't to hang on, but to let that happen. That's sometimes the kind of thing. Good. <laughs> sometimes it's good, even when it hurts, and that's yeah. exactly the kind and of how thing. How scary it is! <laughs> yeah, the kind of thing that I I like trying to say, and sometimes also the fact that we might like who we are, but we might still be better if we changed some things about ourselves. Like we might <laughs> we might think we're okay as we are, and then find out through maybe other people that we didn't expect to care about that we're better being like who they who they believe we could be like maybe we don't see the potential in ourselves and maybe we don't see the purpose but someone else wakes us up to the idea of i could be better i could be different if i don't like this aspect what if i did change it you know so i like that I like as a storyteller that just brings me to one of my favorite mm-hmm. topics, yeah. villains. Oh, yes. yes. Love oh. the villains. Because y'all know me. Even when I convince you that I'm a good good guy, you, mm-hmm. I always play the bad guy. Yeah. Because it's my favorite. It's my favorite thing to portray because villains are complicated and they're delicious yes. and I love and them. And they make you question they your make, own biases yeah. because that, of the fact that Robert plays like clergy 50% of the time in this game. He always plays the good he, guy, though. But they're not ever the evil character and everyone always thinks they're they, the villain. I love it because though, people because have the predisposition to assume that, you know, it, he now they're frequently very misguided. And they don't suspect me. And they don't suspect you. Even though, yeah, I mean, you should, it's easy should. to do the evil church because there's plenty of that. Of but but it is one of those situations of of that or or um I can't I'm trying to think of another circumstance where people have just immediately jumped on the he's a villain train. Uh-huh, and it's yeah. like but why do you think well, that? Well, the most prominent one was the Cardinal because he played he a top the top clergy. Yeah. When actually in the in the final game, the, the real big bad was not who you expected it to no, be. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, it's... But I like to play villains because that I just realized just sitting here listening that that's exactly how I provide that for people is I play a good villain. I play a villain that mm. does challenge them to think about things differently, that, that makes them confront things and also puts them in situations mm-hmm. where they are in a conflict and they have to fight me. And I give yeah. them somebody to fight because I know who they need to see on the other side. Um, or, or at least I like to think that I do. I like to provide somebody who's complex. I like to give you a villain that, yeah. yes, you should absolutely take this person down, but you're going to feel bad while you do it because, uh, yes, their yeah. life is complicated. I was going to say, You don't have to forgive them for it. Occasionally but. you have you have villains where it's like people are like, I don't know, I think I kind of side with them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, you'll start to question uh, it for a while. Like we were just mentioning the, like, you know, wait a second, the, the whole is... <laughs> haunted house story with the cave. That was an instance where the technical villain, they were like, yeah, I guess 
guess we got your back. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> they, they ended up on the side of the, of the antagonists because the antagonists were in a position where there wasn't really a good yeah, there wasn't solution really a choice, for them. They didn't but... really have a choice, and it was... But they uh, ended up making maybe not necessarily the best or most moral decision in order to end that game, and everyone walked away kind of feeling icky that they did yeah, that. Yeah, no, they felt genuinely <laughs> horrified at the end of the game. It's like... They're like, we actually made that choice, I guess. I don't know. It's like, wow, I didn't know that would happen. Yeah, but I like, I like being well, able to... It's like, to... you made a deal with Satan. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I, I like being Satan, able really, to offer you know. that... Yeah, yeah, more of a Lovecraftian, yeah. but still. I like being able to offer that kind of scenario, though, and for people to ask those sorts of questions. And and sometimes it seems where it's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't even have to be that deep, because sometimes it's enjoyable anyway. There's a reason people like Star Wars. There's a reason people like tropes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the kind of thing that you would think, you'll think one way about in some media, but when you take it to LARP and you're involved in it, it hits different. So mm-hmm. I like that kind of thing. I like also, villains that are just unforgivable sometimes. Those are, yeah, those that's are always all, yeah, really where it's fun. Just like, nope, because you don't have to like them. Sometimes what my players need is somebody they can just hate yep. for yes. the next hour that we're sitting at this table. They just need someone to hate. Yep. And so I just give them somebody. But they also make them, like, really scary. So one of my favorites was a, um, a beautiful woman named Fleur. And she was yes. a cannibal that oh, would eat no. people. And she had the uh, girl boss energy and just yeah. very elegant and stuff. And so every time that I introduced her into a scene, people were immediately uncomfortable. I could feel it. Yep, yep. I could feel just how everybody was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but I love being able to do that because, one, I get genuine joy out of out of making people very hypervigilant and aware. And it's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, yes, mm-hmm. you, you, like you're invested now you're in the moment with me like because I could feel that you're in this moment with me yes. and, and it's not even about me having that power over you it's just that we're both here we're both here and this is exciting we're experiencing yeah. this moment together and we're it's cool we're writing it together we're it's, writing it's this, creativity this scene we're together and so I get to have this villain that comes out and makes you uncomfortable and then you get to fight her and defeat her yeah. you know and so that's that's fun I like to I be able to provide I can't wait to make that. my players feel like big damn heroes sometimes because yeah, that that as much victory. as I like the bleak stuff and the horror, sometimes it's good to make them feel powerful instead of powerless. And sometimes, because yeah, that victory that they feel, you also get to participate in and be in that moment with them when they feel like, oh, I just accomplished something amazing. Mm-hmm. I got to, I, I, I really, we defeated that, or we overcame this gigantic obstacle, and the players are just as invested as they in that moment as they were when they were horrified and unsettled. Yeah. They are now even more invested because they won and they get that fulfillment. And they they're very happy so i love providing that for and people also, it's genuinely very fun like like just that, warms my heart oh yeah happy. the fact that it brings people together too as friends that a group of people who've larped together that didn't know each other otherwise now see each other for holidays and, yes. and like genuinely come kind of come together because it might have been a fictional threat but it was a real effort yes, and yes. uh i love you really were all in danger really together were. in danger was, yeah quotes. quote unquote but still <laughs> and you work together and you got to know each other even as characters you you do sort of see into somebody's you know soul a little bit with that stuff because there's always their potential because and what's what's important to them and what they put into somebody and and you know into this character their ideas and and their own you know wherever that comes from because yeah you you put stuff into characters that you want to be able to process fictionally no matter what that is and i think the other thing about that is is like watching people I think people enjoy 
the games we write, and it's very important to me that all of our games end up with a message of hope, no matter how bleak yes. horror stuff, because it's very easy. I've seen a lot of people who are like, oh, you play Vanilla Cthulhu, or oh, your stuff isn't really horror. None of it ever ends bad. I'm like, actually, some of it ends very, very badly. You're completely ignoring the fact simply because I think that hope is probably oh, the most Oh, you're into important. horror? Name every tentacle. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I was, like, I... You have to leave your players with about as much hope as dread, I think, because that's the thing that keeps them revisiting it after and thinking about it. I like to it. think of good horror as uh, orchestrating something. Like, I, yeah. I want you, I want to guide your feelings. I want you to experience the dread and the horror. I want you to experience the hopelessness mm-hmm. and the and the despair. But I also want you to experience what it's like to get past that, yeah. too. Yeah, we've, we've Because had... what the hell is the point? If you want just the horror, just go watch a movie. Right. I mean, well, and, and then know. again, we, we've had some, especially Cthulhu-specific games, where it's like, well, this is a suicide mission and or we are delaying the inevitable for maybe 20 years or we're never, ever going to be able to defeat this thing, really, in the way we think we are. This is just this is like putting a Band-Aid on a leaking dam. And then the point is, yeah, but we're going to fucking do it anyway. Yeah. And why? You know, um, seeing characters stand up for things in a Lovecraftian environment is always fun to me because it brings out that sort of thing in people where it's like, but why are we going to do it if it's if it's pointless? Well, simply because I'm not letting them take me fucking alive or simply because man literally too angry to it, die. Yeah, it's important to me or simply because 2 years is 2 years more than we would have if I didn't do it. Yeah. Or, you know, or any of those things or sim- simply the point being of the because we can, the because someone needs to know it, the because someone ought to do something even if we fail. We're, we're getting into the exact topic of why my entire left arm is is, is cosmic horror yeah. related. Yeah, and why thing. Call of Cthulhu tabletop was so important to me, and why it was so important yeah. that in fact I'm dedicating quite a bit of my body to yeah, uh, images from it because system name again. It's not just <laughs> about the horror; it, it, it's about the characters that were in, in the midst of it. You know, and it was about it's about who cares that this entire situation is extremely traumatic i'm going to do my shit anyway it's about looking at the cosmic horror and knowing the nihilistic thing is yes this thing far outside of my comprehension that is incomprehensibly smarter than i am and more powerful than i am sees me as less than an ant and i am completely meaningless in this universe and that's very freeing because i'm important to me so fuck you yeah that's exactly what i like i literally (laughs) have no responsibilities to that creature up there and so i'm gonna flip it off and while yeah, it eats pretty me, much it's like fine. you know what yeah fine you think i'm you think i'm less Last act of defiance <laughs> you think i'm a speck in this universe and you're probably right but at least to myself i'm this is meaningful to me mm-hmm. and that matters more in the grand scheme than whether or not i'm the biggest entity yeah. that exists yeah because if you take <laughs> a I microscope and you look at my brain it too looks like a galaxy so fuck all of that mm-hmm. you know like it's just like that stuff yes. i think that's i think that's what's attractive about larp as a therapeutic medium too is simply because um i think when you've been especially through um just an insurmountable um like quantity of traumatic events or uh, even just some trauma that was just so hard to even accept that it happened like when you've been through traumatic stuff that's ultimately the kind of message that is healing Mm -hmm. no matter what yeah 
Yeah, and for me, like I've uh, I had a really hard time getting into LARP. It was it felt so awkward um, <laughs> because I'm not an actor. You're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an actor, and um, I just wanted to do characters that made me comfortable, like logical. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make the right decisions. Um, but now I'm in a place where I really kind of just want to be a barbarian. Yes. yes. It's so <laughs> We will do that. Yeah. Yes, we will Please. help. We can help with Please that. Please do that. <laughs> I want to make the bad decisions. <laughs> come, come, come play, come play, come play Ridley Scott game and be a space Marine. Well, yes. I don't, yeah. <laughs> you could. Uh, I am going to, uh, that is the next game on the table for me yeah. that I'm putting together Actually, is a space game. We've got space game and we've got, uh, horror space game and then we've got um uh post-apocalypse game apocalypse game two electric boogaloo so yeah west <laughs> yeah. of absolution two is the thing so oh, cool. that's always a fun one too anything also I like. plenty of opportunity for tabletop mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. i do want to run call of cthulhu again and i wouldn't mind running more dnd and if you want to be a barbarian dnd is the best place to do it <laughs> we yes. we do we do tend to like those games where sometimes the point is you just want to be a little unhinged sometimes you're tired of being uh-huh. nice and you just want to go ape shit and the only circumstance in which you can do that is the super fighty LARP or tabletop game where I can I can just solve my problems with a big old hammer and that's it. Yes. That's what I would do is when I play Barbarian is when the party around me is deliberating on a whole lot of logical things and I'm getting impatient. My answer is violence. You you're a fucking instigator and I love it. I I am. I just this is why I tend to You'll just walk off if your question if you're playing a game (laughs) and your question is, wait a second, where's Lee? Problems are about to happen. Yes. Just be prepared. They've already happened and you just don't know. Something has occurred. I've already passed a note to the GM <laughs> saying about what shenanigans that I'm about to get into, and it's about to become everyone's problem. You're, you're the character that they because have to keep I got on a baby bored. leash. <laughs> they have to put you on a little fucking baby leash, and you but just that's gotta... why nowadays I stick to characters that I play because I I am one of those players that I take a lot of initiative, mm-hmm. and sometimes I yeah. I try to actively not steamroll people at the table mm-hmm. because I don't want to talk over people. But it seems to me that people like that. I take a lot of initiative because Mm -hmm. they're too timid to and that's totally fine but I try to just leave room for it but I so I tend to play social characters a lot because I'm a good talker Mm -hmm. and so I play characters that are the front man for the group and I go and talk to all the NPCs and stuff Uh, but more recently I've tried to step out of my own comfort zone and say well what if I wasn't like that what if I let other people take the reins but I found that I can't just do that I have to be violent. So I play barbarians <laughs> because I don't have to talk a lot to be strong and mean. Um, so I'll play a barbarian. And when I start getting bored, I have the HP bank to go and cause problems Mayhem. about it. Just, just chaos. <laughs> just chaos. But So we're standing outside of a temple and they're debating on how to go inside it. And I'm like, well, Matt Seamus goes through the front door. And the DM was like, what? I was like, yeah, you heard me. I go through the front door. There's a door there, right? Yes. All right, I go through the door. Well, there's guards. Awesome. That means perfect opportunity to go into a frenzy rage, right? That's exactly what I do. So then the party wisely used me as a distraction to complete the plan that they were already kind of waffling about in the moment, uh, which I don't I don't blame them. They're just trying to work things out and, and everything, and I'm, I'm just an instigator, and I want to have fun really desperately. So... 
I have all this HP and two big great axes and God, I need to use them. Okay. <laughs> Please sympathize with me a little bit. I'm not trying to cause problems for the table. Yes, I are. really, really want to hit things. <laughs> I just want to rage. But, rage. But I think, I think that, that that brings up a good point too, is that, yeah, putting yourself out of your own comfort zone um, and still learning how to have fun with it is kind of almost um, like a, learning how to have distress tolerance, which is very important. Um, So that's also therapy. There's all kinds of little ways that it is. Learning how to collaborate with other people. Yeah, learning how to make room for them. And be mindful of other players and be mindful of your own problems and things like me being aware that I can steamroll people I, because I have a lot of initiative and I want to do things. I'm I like doing things. Extroverted and outgoing yeah. and and I like acting and I've been doing it for such a long time and I tend to play big characters so I know I can take the spotlight or the limelight. So one mm-hmm. of the things we've done with with the Hammer Rules is we actually have a a spotlight card and so if you are somebody who is kind of like shy or timid or just kind of socially anxious you want to have a scene you want to be heard but you're you have trouble speaking up or being big you can flash the card and everybody knows to shut the hell up and let you have a moment moment. and that that's actually very confidence building i think for a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get into larp because it can be very awkward and especially when you're not used to it so and you know there's no really wrong way to go about larp i think some of the awkwardness and that i've never really had a problem with because i just dive headfirst into things but i try to make space for people that it's awkward for them because well they've never done it before and they mm-hmm. don't really know how to be an actor or get into this or play pretend or might be worried about what people or, think yeah or, or might be worried yeah. that oh this is going to come across really weird or this is oh everybody's looking at me and they don't really like attention which yeah. is totally or fine or my costume's not as it's, good as everybody's or this yeah, is inherently cringy or it, whatever reason like that creates insecurity for you this also is an opportunity to increase your distress tolerance for that because Mm -hmm. one way to uh start confronting your own insecurity is to just let yourself feel it and do stuff anyway that's hard and i commend people for actually having the bravery to do it because i understand how hard that is (laughs) yeah and you you learn to do things like take people at their word so it's a good exercise for i i have I have a few comorbidities with the DID, one of which is I have a grab bag of cluster B traits across the board, uh, which cluster B personality disorders are um, borderline histrionic, narcissistic, and antisocial. And and I pull from all categories significantly. And so part of the issue with that is being able to understand that you have to you either have to take people at their word or when their character's behaving a certain way you can't read into it as being a problem with you you start learning things about where you're like oh i have a concern that i'm assuming this person is actually upset at me instead of assuming that they're being petty or reading them that way and reacting how about i not react and i go ask them if the scene went well and if there's a problem and then when i ask them and they're like oh no it's fine i had a blast because my character felt this way and then we can talk about it which suddenly makes it much easier in real life when you're like hmm i read that person is ignoring me are they actually ignoring me and now i have to spiral about the fact that they're abandoning me or do i need to go ask them what's up and only to find out that their brain is you know zoned out on something else because they got a lot on their mind and it has nothing to do with me and so i have found actually a lot of value in being able to go to a fictional situation with these characters and then separate the characters from the player and separate my own character from myself. So that way I don't automatically react to what I'm perceiving. 
I'm able to logically stop myself and recognize those feelings when I'm having them and then go, are they actually making fun of me? Are they like actually trying to get at me right now? Or is this supposed to be completely in character and I'm just not tolerating it very well? That is something that I think is across the board. No matter who mm -hmm. you are, you're going to experience an LARP, Mm -hmm. especially the more you get into it. And I see it a lot as a problem. Intense scenes. (laughs) I get, I see that a lot as a problem with players. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times people are not as self-aware about it. So I have to, as a storyteller, do some some of that work for them and Mm -hmm. check in with them and be like, hey, you know that, that person's not upset yeah, you, with you, right? You're moping or you this look like you're not character. having, although I wouldn't use that word, but yeah. you look like you're not having fun anymore. You look like you might be yeah. distressed. I usually, I my default is like, hey, do we need a break? Do you need yeah. to go de stem? Do we need to, you know, do we need to take a type five and then get back to this, guys? Yeah. Um, because some things in LARP and tabletop can get very emotional. Yeah, uh, you yeah. get, you're processing feelings and also you get immersed in the mm-hmm. moment. And when we're playing with your feelings, I am specifically, I'm doing that on purpose. Yeah. You pay me or, you know, you come to sit at my table uh, for me to do that for you. I'm supposed to orchestrate this journey that you want to take your emotions on. Yeah. And because we are doing that, you're going to experience emotions. Yes. And, and also, those will manifest physically for some people. Yeah. And so... And also the fact that, like, a lot of times, like I was saying about, like, Tabby or any of us um, putting ourselves and our own things we need to process into our characters and our stories, uh, like, like... like Lee said, singlets, people who aren't multiple can do that as well. And so what you end up having is somebody who isn't as aware that they're doing that, where it's like... My character has a backstory where she lost her sister and she feels such guilt over it. And it's, it's what I want to, it's what I want to play out. It's what I want to write about or create. It's, you know, this is her backstory. And then finding out by the end of it that there's a reason you wanted to process that. Mm -hmm. There's a reason it's important. Tabby does is considers herself an orphan uh starts the story with her adoptive father having died tragically and violently and what does that mean for us and it's that maybe she's got like i say maybe but i have rules about the things that i'm okay talking with i don't do trauma specifics i don't do anything that could hurt someone that i care about or myself like i so i won't go into details but um like, or anything that isn't known about. My dad and I are on good terms now. We didn't used to be. And at the time, it was about feeling like she didn't have a parental figure she could turn to for various reasons, for feeling very much like this loss. And, you know, of especially a father figure and how that had hurt her. And instead of interpreting it through the trauma we actually had and the things we actually did miss out on, she interpreted it as my father's dead or my father's dead tragically, in fact, and I'm mourning that when really it was sort of a, I, you know, feel like I've missed out on years with this person because they're not who I thought they were or something like that, you know, and not to get into any specifics, like I said, but that's where that came from. And it took playing the game to get about halfway through and be like, ah, this is about real life. And like the (laughs) conflict that I've had with my actual dad and my stepdad at one point. And, and then being able to work through that separately. 
Um, you can really tell when a, a player is processing something that's mm-hmm. really happened to them in one interpretation or another. It may not mm-hmm. be literally what they're... In fact, I encourage people to not do things literally with their characters. I've had players do that. It never works out. Please don't do that. Yeah, never one for uh, one. Try it. to <laughs> give yourself a back... Like, give your character a backstory. And if it feels personal to you, that's when you should start getting curious and asking yourself questions of, why does this hit different than mm-hmm. other characters I've played? Yeah. Why does this feel different to me? Or if you're there's consciously... Going to be, there's going to be some answers for you somewhere in your brain or if you're consciously doing it put it at a a distance too um doc in her writing and and everything in one of her campaigns had written about um a character who betrays her who is significantly based on a friend who did something similar but in a 100% 100% different context. Somebody who was trying to steal her mad science experiments, her work, when in reality the friend just stole some writing. Um, oh. But it felt the same, you know? It felt like taking betrayal. something from me, I worked so much on it, it was that kind of betrayal. So at a distance, it might have deliberately been a character who was meant to be similar, but definitely not a one-for-one situation because that would not have been okay. It wouldn't have processed yeah. the same. You don't. You need to put it at a distance if you're going to do that, in my opinion. When I was yeah. still a pretty fresh GM, I had a player that made a character named after themselves and put their mm-hmm. own experiences into this character. And now I, as a more veteran GM, would not allow something like that because... I'm not here to play your abusive ex, okay? Again, yeah, it's a consent yeah. thing. Oof. I don't think that that's okay. At the time, I did mm-hmm. not... I was not very mindful because I hadn't had that experience before, you know. And sometimes you just do things to accommodate people mm-hmm. because it's, again, it's the trauma response. You want to be accommodating for your friends and everything. But when you GM for, for people who are processing things, one of the, the things I think is important to keep in mind is that it is not your responsibility to help them process their emotions. Mm-hmm. That is entirely for them to do. Yeah. And you don't have to take up the mantle of guidance uh to that and it's also again inappropriate to um help somebody process through their yeah we're not therapists (laughs) it's inappropriate for me to give you medical advice on how to process your emotions however i can present you with an environment and challenges to help you do that yourself Mm-hmm. And also, one thing I think is important and why we do afters and why we always have decompression mm-hmm. time and why Sunday we tend to not do, like, our w- games are typically weekend long, but most of Sunday is just let's have fun together as a community. Yeah. is because aftercare, aftercare is very important in uh, emotionally intense things like this. And I think everybody, every gaming group should at least a lot a good 15 minutes to decompress after a session and if it's a longer session more time is needed yeah so just have for snacks, everyone who, who doesn't do something know, together yeah afters is what we call um our traditional tried and true everybody looks forward to it uh like one final lunch jam session before everyone goes home we book a big room at some place we all like and everybody comes as like kind of a little family and we get together and we recap and we unwind and then we all say our goodbyes at a very you know it's a nice little closure to it but yeah if we say afters that's what we mean kind of another theater term just like if you've ever seen the rowdy theater kids at 3 a.m in a denny's after their final show (laughs) or after opening night that's exactly what we're doing so (laughs) and i think that's important even if you just do tabletop not just for larp is to just a lot some time to help your players decompress mm-hmm. and it's Watch just general aftercare or something just general, <laughs> just general aftercare of everybody just taking care of uh, of themselves come out of it you know eat some food Come together back 
get talk back about, to yourself, talk get about things that are not game related, yes. <laughs> you know, talk about your excitement of like, I really liked working with you. I love the dynamic we have going on maybe, yeah. but, but get out of the actual story, you know, a little bit. I think that's yeah. important too. So. I think this is a good place to wrap up. I do for LARP, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I get so excited, you know. <laughs> I could go on, I feel like, but <laughs> oh, this was wonderful. <laughs> Thank and, you. And um, we'll definitely be making this um, different episodes. So um, tune in for the next one that'll be gaming. If my folks can hang around, for yes, a while longer. absolutely. I've got pretty much all day. So I was going to yeah. say, I can potentially give you somebody different for that one too. So that might be a treat. Cause I don't remember the last interview type thing I've done, but I'm not entirely sure that I've, uh, I think there may have been some of my old streaming I did where I like did the whole switch on camera, but I don't think anybody's really gotten the outside of me has really gotten the, the mm-hmm. privilege thereof. So I hope that works out. Thanks to Lee and Merritt. That's our show for this week. There's so much great information in this one. Feel free to listen again. Remember, folks, there's no substitute for therapy, and we are not therapists. Thanks for listening.